Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing this song for the dream. Today for Spirit in Action, we'll be visiting with two folks connected with a project called It Can Be Done. What can be done is a building of deep relationship between people in Tanzania and people willing to be part of their extended spiritual family in the USA. As a result of several factors, including global climate change, the Uru people who live at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro have been suffering dramatically from a lack of water a resource most of us take completely for granted. Some Americans have banded together to share both physical and spiritual support to help work towards a solution to the problem in Tanzania. Barbara Joy currently heads up the work of It Can Be Done, so I'll talk to her shortly. But first, I'll speak with Sandy McKinney, pastor of Unity Christ Center in Eau Claire, because it was through a newspaper article about Sandy's upcoming trip to Tanzania that I became aware of this plight and project. So shortly I'll speak with Barbara, but first, Sandy McKinney joins us by phone for Spirit in Action to talk about It Can Be Done. Sandy, it's so exciting that you're going to be going to Africa. What got you involved in being part of this It Can Be Done project? You know, it really started with a prayer partnership when uh, Barbara Joy, who is the founder and creator of this project, called us to request prayers for nags they were having in their work they were doing in Africa. And so our community joined in prayer consciousness with this community in Africa. And it has really grown and blossomed from that point, and that was probably back to 2007. And it's through that power of prayer that we have found to be such a wonderful gift here at Unity that this relationship has grown. Now manifesting in an actual visit from those folks from Africa coming here and some of our group going there in January. So very exciting to have watched this unfold. I think that a lot of folks might imagine that what these nations who are comparatively vastly underdeveloped to us want is just our money. And that's not where this relationship started. It's a real relationship of spirit. Right. Barbara has a three-year program for spiritual growth that people participate in, and it was one of her students who had this desire to create some kind of mission work in Africa who first made that trip and discovered that the women and children were spending the entire day climbing Mount Kilimanjaro to bring water back to the village, and that was their life. So it was from that little seed of an idea that they even started pursuing a project of drilling well. And I think this is probably a common problem throughout Africa. And as that project just kept taking on a life of its own, 
whenever they would have some kind of snag they were facing and they would be calling for prayer. And the people of the village, through Barbara getting back to us, were so taken with the fact that we would be holding them in prayer that that was the very nucleus of the beginnings of this relationship. And it has just grown and blossomed. And really through Barbara Joy's communication, ongoing communication with these folks. How is your community there, Unity Christ Center here in Eau Claire, how has that group, how have people there changed because of this connection with Africa? Well, I hear from some individuals, and my hope is that for many, that, and what my goal was as the minister was that folks would, because of this prayer partnership, you know, we talk a lot about being one, that globally we are all one. And I think it's brought that, I know it's brought it back to me, a real understanding and a real awareness that, you know, we may say those words, we're all one, but this project and this prayer partnership has really made that very real for both me and some of the members here. Since this is a prayer partnership, I assume that you're also asking for prayers from them. One of the dilemmas that many of us end up facing when we connect with people who are less affluent, less fortunate in material ways is it sometimes seems unfair to, it it sometimes seems like we're having a pity party if the little things in our lives aren't going well when they don't have water, you know, one of the fundamentals. How do you do that exchange of prayers or what kind of connection do you have that way? Oh, you know, the type of prayer that unity uses is affirmative prayer are we affirming that in higher consciousness we know these things to be true? I just think that prayers going back and forth between these two entities has, I think it deepens prayer consciousness, it deepens our understanding of partnership through prayer. And then meeting, being able now to meet these people in person is going to really make that connection very real. And that's my hope for the community here. And I know, and from other folks who I've talked to who've done mission work and who have met with folks from other countries, that, you know, the gift will be ours. This will be a tremendous gift that we're receiving, not what we are being able to give. You know, I can relate to this. The larger Quaker group that my Quaker meeting is affiliated with, we have what's called a sister yearly meeting relationship with folks in El Salvador. And I think there was concern that it was going to be simply a financial trade, and it hasn't been. In fact, every year we either send folks down there or they send them up here and we participate in each other's religious and spiritual life. So it does end up strengthening and transforming us in both directions. And So I I knew that that could happen. I just wanted to know how it was working for you. Why do you want to go to scary Africa uh, yeah, I mean, I first went when I was in the Peace Corps when I was 23, and I've been back three times since, and so it's kind of, I don't want to say old hat, because there's so many regions of Africa I still know nothing about, but I went when I was young, and I, I guess I believed I was invulnerable. Why do you want to go there? Isn't this going to be an arduous journey? You know, I've never thought of Africa as scary. <laughs> I'm intrigued that you've used that word. I do love to travel, and... I've never really done mission work, you know. I know that much of the work that we do throughout our lives could be called mission work, but I've never experienced that where it's actually in that name and you're raising funds for that. So that's the piece that's really pulling at my heartstrings. 
you know, as I'm getting to be more mature in this lifetime, this is an experience that I wanted to have at this stage of my life that I think will be a blessing and deepen me and grow me as spiritually as both a person and a minister. How long will you be there and what precisely will you be doing? You said mission work. Does this mean you're going to be digging a well or are you just participating in, I don't want to say just? Some of the people traveling this time, there's people who actually do climb Mount Kilimanjaro and get sponsorships for that climb so that those resources then are monies that are given to the community to continue the ongoing project of wealth and bringing clear water. The next phase of this project is going to be working with the women and children to create a fair trade product. So that's going to be my focus. And meeting the children of the community who are just really eager for educational opportunities now that they will have those since they're not having to haul water all the time. And so... That will be my focus while I'm there is seeing how I might help in uh, teaching uh, the women and children. This community, for the most part, speaks English, which will be an asset. And I'd understand that we do have a day or two that we will get to experience a safari, too. So I hadn't heard that in the beginning, so I really was excited when I heard about that. We'll be there for 10 days. It's amazing to think that water is such a crucial item that is simply not available to people there. I want to predict that one of the effects will be for you because it's been with most people who've experienced Africa firsthand. We come back and we look at all that we have and we say, we have so much. So we realize our blessing and we realize that we have much more than we need. And so leads us to simplify our lives. Since I've known you for some time now, Sandy, I know you've already simplified your life. Do you see a piece that's going to be simplified even further? Or do you want to anticipate that? Yeah, I think just the, the awareness of the gratitude of the many blessings we do have and just always being able to stay in that place of gratitude, no doubt a gift that I will receive. You know, I'm looking out my window right now watching two incredibly beautiful butterflies feasting on some thistle flowers that are blooming at the tips of this very tall thistle, and then a little yellow bird that lit right beside them, and it's like, yeah, I'm so blessed. I just have this incredible face. I'm just, you know, Barbara Joy asked me recently, is the going to Africa real for you yet? And at that moment in time, it really wasn't. It, you know, it still seems like a fantasy that I've talked about, and as we get closer to the time, I'm sure we'll get even more and more real that indeed I am making this journey. Well, you take our blessings with you as you head to Africa. Again, on September 11th, there'll be a service at Unity Christ Center here in Eau Claire. They'll be visiting in Waukesha, elsewhere. People can contact itcanbedoneafrica.org and find out more information about it. Sandy, thanks so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Oh, and thank you, Mark, and you've been an inspiration in hearing your stories from Africa that have inspired me. That was Sandy McKinney, pastor of Unity Christ Center in Eau Claire. And next, we'll speak with It Can Be Done founder, Barbara Joy. Barbara joins us from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Barbara, I'm delighted to have you here today for Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. I'm very happy to be here. It Can Be Done is such an exciting project that you're doing, and your work with Africa, and therefore your website, itcanbedoneafrica.org, is a great link to what's going on there. 
Can you take us back to the beginning of It Can Be Done, how it evolved, how you got involved in this? And, of course, we're going to lead up to how other people are going to get involved, too. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, our story begins in a very unanticipated way. We had a friend who took an adventure vacation to Africa after her retirement, and her volunteer niece in Tanzania talked her into climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. She is an adventurous soul. In the course of climbing that mountain and interacting with the porters and the guides there, she was very, very touched by not only the genuineness of the people themselves, but the challenges that they had with water, something that we take very much for granted here in so many ways that we can walk to a tap and turn it on and it's there in our showers. There, the women and children walk three to five hours a day minimum in search of a a clean water access, and unfortunately, most of the times, it's not even clean. The water runs through open fields and furrows and picks up contaminants along the way, so it's an extremely serious issue. She could not get this out of her mind when she came back and shared the story with me first, Uh, She also happened to be not only a friend, but a student in my three-year program of leadership as service, one of the training programs I operate. And at third year, you have to select a service project. So in talking about this, she could not get these folks out of her mind and felt like there was something that she wanted to do or be of assistance. We agreed in that moment that perhaps she had found her service project. Because it was such a large one, far more really than the requirements of the uh, ACORN Invocations Leadership Training Program, she invited several others of us to come in, assist, and help set up a board and found the organization itself. So those are our uh, soulful beginnings, if you will. So how did your involvement ramp up? I think you've been over there three times, maybe a fourth time coming up. Yes, that's exactly right. The fourth time will be in January, and I would say I'm not sure if my involvement has ramped up or not. I I think from the get-go, I hit the ground running with it because it is a large project, and just the idea of providing assistance in even a small way around the issue of water in Africa, it's really quite a large undertaking, and so I have that official title as of February, but my involvement really has been very full from the beginning in a a co-founding role and in practical tasks and project development. The class that she was taking that led to this project being developed, what was that class and what's your history with that? That seems like a fertile field for people to find their avocation. Well, I think so. It is called Leadership in Service, as I've mentioned, under the umbrella name of ACORN Invocations, which is a a work that I've been doing in various forms for about 20 years now. It's highly experiential in that I work with music and art and energy, meditation, prayer. It's accepting of all faiths and, and paths. It's more about supporting every individual or the groups that I work with in connecting to their own inner voice and to the guidance and direction and and relationship to their own soul, if you will, and to the God of their understanding. So it's a deepening. And then 
in this leadership program, we take it one step further and really go about grounding those understandings and deep connections and bridging them into our everyday lives. It's a powerful way to go through life and uh, is an aspiration, really, for all of us, ultimately on a spiritual path, whatever that spiritual path may look like. And is this a program that you originated, or is it an adaptation of something else that happens nationally? Can our listeners across the United States, can they find a program like it where they live? Well, I would say that, you know, there may be many ways of going about this. This is a program, actually, though, that I have originated in this exact format, and it was based on my own personal and spiritual growth work and spiritual practices. I'm trained in psycho-spiritual integration and integrated breath work. I studied with Jacqueline Small in the Psychia Institute. So I would say that her programs most easily relate to some of the work that I do. But the aspect of leadership as service in the three-year training program originated with me and my work and effort to provide those bridges from these deeper understandings, experiential work that allows you to get in there and do personal healing or to garner direct connection to your own inner voice? And how do we go about making those applications and expressions in the world? I cannot tell you how many people contact me saying that they're feeling an unrest in their everyday life, their jobs, their relationships, but they really don't know how to express or get to that place of deeper meaning expressed in their everyday life. And frankly, that unrest is guidance in itself. It stirs you to an action and calls people to begin a further search other than, you know, just workshops or, or perhaps, you know, some of the other things they've been availing themselves of, which is all very valuable and part of the path. I consider myself to be a practical mystic, if you will, so finding these everyday ways or even just bringing the understandings into our relationships and our current jobs and becoming peaceful about it, how do we go about doing that? So that's core to this Leadership as Service training program. Well, I do want to mention that you'll be coming up to Eau Claire not too long. I think on September 11th, you're going to be up in Eau Claire where I happen to live. I think you're located in Waukesha. Do you travel around to different places? And, and let's talk about what's happening here on the 11th. Okay. This is a newer development in the unfolding of It Can Be Done, in this reaching outward in a larger way to communities, giving folks an opportunity to connect with the project and to really do global community building so we're traveling to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. We've had a relationship with Unity Christ Center in Eau Claire, I think, since about 2008. I had done my other work there at least a couple times a year, the Soulscapes Breathwork events, group events, and began to form a relationship, and I've spoken at that church every year since then. They began to provide prayer support for our projects. From that, we have deepened into community, and they have become more proactive in their involvement and their support of the African projects, and we have come to rely on their uh, prayer support, if you will, in very meaningful, direct ways, and we get wonderful, if not miraculous, 
results when I've made requests every time from that congregation by way of support in the project. The September 11 events are a whole lineup of events that the community at large are very welcome to come and meet our Uru Water Borehole Project Coordinator and his wife. It's Alphonse Ngawi and Eva Ngawi. And we are bringing them over all the way from Tanzania, bringing Africa to the United States and introducing them to some of the area communities and wonderful people that have some knowledge or have provided support for us, and also to introduce them to new communities or organizations and individuals who have an interest in knowing more or participating in a variety of ways in this project. There will be speaking at the Unity Church Service at 10 a.m. on September 11th, and there's a, a wonderful uh, potluck lunch being offered afterwards. And then a community-wide unity in global community circle that is operating from 1230 to approximately 2 o'clock. It's a combination of visioning together, discussing ways that we can be in sustainable community locally and globally, sharing of stories from Africa, both as inspiration and perhaps providing some concrete examples of ways we can all be in global community. There are also events in the evening. There's a wonderful woman who's come forward with an ecstatic dance program that begins at 7.30, I believe, on Sunday evening, both a celebration and connection with these folks. It's also a fundraiser for the project. There is a community Stand for Peace event sponsored by the Unitarian Church that I know people are invited to participate in that we've been invited to walk in as well. Sure sounds like a rich day. Now, that's something that you're going to be doing here in Eau Claire. Do you do events in other places around the country? Uh, Obviously, in Waukesha, you must do something locally there where you're living. Uh, Well, you know what? I have literally just moved to Waukesha because I was recently married. (laughs) So I moved there from Illinois. And so we're just now tapping into the Waukesha community. But during this month's visit that Alphonse and Eva Ngawi are with us, we also have a number of events planned in the Chicagoland area down in Illinois. A number of wonderful things we're connecting with. The Blue Lotus Temple has invited us to speak. Also, there's a whole group of Cub Scouts in Itasca that we'll be presenting to, and they've decided to do a community fundraiser climbing a local hill for a penny a step. Their goal is 19,500 steps at a penny a step times all those Cub Scouts, and they're really hoping to raise about $2,000 for the project. I can't tell you how much something like that thrills me because it's the core to grassroots and the core to global community that these young children, you know, are excited about meeting and knowing folks from around the world, and we're there to help them understand that the issues of water are not just issues in Tanzania or elsewhere, but also here at home. So there's an environmental piece with that as well. Eva has actually founded this year a women's organization, which we are providing cooperating support for, and it is called the ACORN Women's Group, 
and cooperative organization, and they are developing products for the fair trade market, cottage industry style with Uru women up in the villages, weaving, sewing, quilting, beading, those kinds of things. And so she will be tapping into fair trade markets here. We are very open to individuals and groups who may want to know more, who may want to support or be part of this project financially through participation, volunteering here in this country, Volunteer USA. And we are also bringing over a couple of groups in January 2012. One will be adventurous souls who are going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro as a pledge climb, fundraising for our core water, deep water borehole drilling projects. The other, their focus is the women's group mission trip and being of assistance to those women, either through skill building in the things that they're doing, business awareness, basic skills in computer use, email, those kinds of things, and also providing assistance in just tapping into local products and local markets there as well and other groups that they can network with to strengthen their own understandings and their presence. We're in a great growth and outreach period right now. There's so much you've talked about, Barbara, that I want to pursue. Uh, I've just got to grab strands of it as they go by. One of them is you talked about climbing Kilimanjaro. Now, I know that Poppy Moulter, who lives here in Eau Claire, was part of a group who went as part of It Can Be Done. She went there and was part of a group that was climbing Kilimanjaro, and they were sponsored. So when you talk about the Cub Scouts climbing up a hill and a penny a step, these people who were climbing Kilimanjaro were getting sponsored a certain amount for their trip that also went to your organization. So you said some people are going to do that. Have you climbed Kilimanjaro? Is this one of your objectives, or maybe that's for a future trip? <laughs> for me personally, that would be a future trip. I've been over there. Like I said, this will be my fourth time, and one aspect of it is I'm just always engaged in the management and development aspects of the project, hands-on with the people and local governments and such. And I just haven't found that burning desire to climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro as of yet. But never say never. I I had no idea 10 years ago that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. So it could come. (laughs) Another part of the thread is early on, you mentioned about your partnership with Unity Christ Center here in Eau Claire. You said that they were providing prayer support, and you said sometimes it seemed absolutely miraculous you'd be having a problem. Can you make that practical for me? What does that mean that their prayer support was so important to you? Yes. As you can well imagine, taking on the idea of being of assistance in water access, clean water access in Africa, the thought even can be overwhelming. The idea that there would be challenges in a project that takes this on or barriers or obstacles, I mean, that's a given. It's not something that might happen. It's a given. So at very key moments when we (laughs) had basically reached critical points, we have reached out to Unity, to Sandy McKinney, the minister there, and asked her to send out prayer requests of support. And then, of course, we let go and let God, as they say. But one of the most dramatic moments 
in which we reached out was when after five years essentially of work, of laying foundation, of going through all the relationship building in Africa at every level, volunteers, local government, water departments, all the way up to the Minister of Energy and Water in Tanzania. And we did first drilling in August of last year, so one year ago. And our goal was to be able to drill a maximum yield borehole, one that was lush in water that we could actually pipe to various locations, not just a single standing borehole. Some of the challenges in that is that this is Mount Kilimanjaro, foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro is volcanic rock and it means deep water drilling. There are a number of things that can go wrong in such a situation. We are always trying to save money and be selective about who goes over and find clever ways of being able to be there, such as donated air miles. And we decided in this instance to send my son, Jeremy, and another friend, Sam Fell, who are uh, aspiring filmmakers, to document this drilling and to also be a can-be-done's representative on site. So these young men went over there last August. The drilling happened. We got this wonderful celebration call. The villagers had been holding 24-hour prayer vigilance around the drilling for some days. They had gone through so much themselves just to widen roads in the moment so that the drill equipment couldn't even get up the mountain and to this spot in the rainforest. This wonderful call was made to us that water had been struck and that preliminary testing and measuring had determined that they were achieving about 12,000 liters per hour and that the water was sweet water, as they say. It was good. So we were all thrilled out of our minds, and there was such a celebration going on over there and with the people and everyone involved in the project. They capped off the well. The drillers left the mountain. And then the local water department came two or three days later to begin the more in-depth water testing and measuring all the next steps. When they did, they showed up. The well was dry. There was absolutely nothing to be tested or tasted. And the devastation amongst those there and the people who had stood witness to this situation, I cannot begin to describe to you. And I got this frantic call of just grief and concern from Alphonse Ngali, our project manager, as well as my son. And in that moment, I attempted to calm them even though I was feeling the very same thing here, really turned inward, told them to not give up hope and that I would reach out for prayer support here, even if they did the practical by contacting our drill company, notifying them, asking them for assistance, and if they would please come back. Reverend Sandy at Unity in Eau Claire kicked into action and sent out the prayer request immediately. I don't even know, frankly, how many people Ultimately, you see those prayers, but it's a large number, those prayer requests. And the people over there, first of all, in Tanzania, were calmed by the idea that these prayer requests were being made in that moment on their behalf. It it gave them a, a hope and just an awareness that they were not alone on the mountain in this really devastating moment. So that was 
the first power of prayer, if you will, it's, it's a reassurance. And it's a, it's a witnessing, if you will, that we see you and we know what you're going through. The second part of that was the, the prayers, you know, continued. They met with the drill company. The drill company responded, and they do not have to do this. You pay for drilling, frankly, by the foot. They had done the initial drilling at cost, which meant the difference between uh, being able to afford to even have that four-hole drilled in that moment and not. So that was the first blessing. But in this moment, they responded by not charging anything additional. They were as devastated as everybody else, and they offered to investigate and to continue to work to find a way to make water happen. They dropped a camera down that well and surveyed and then reached out and reviewed the tape to figure out what may have happened. My greatest fear over there was that in volcanic rock, it hardens with air pockets, and so sometimes if water is found, it also can escape to one of those air pockets and go off in a totally other direction and the water is lost. So that's one of the things that they needed to determine. They dropped that camera down, reviewed the tapes, made a plan of action, and a restructuring of the borehole. They came back up the mountain with the crews. All the while, prayers are going on here and there. And this time, when they restructured the borehole, they hit water again. And this time, when they measured, the water was three times the amount that they had measured in the first borehole. We were now at 36,000 liters per hour, which the drilling company there indicated that this was the largest producing borehole that they had ever been part of in that country. And they had been there for many years. So the blessings were just magnified. And while someone could argue, you know, that this was all science, there's no question that everyone did their practical part in this before, during, and after. But I am personally a firm believer in the power of prayer and in just the miraculous, if if you will. There's something in our own souls that just isn't completely explainable in everyday terms. And I credit spirit with a co-creative part in this without question. You've talked about the prayer circle that's going on here, the prayer support that's coming from Unity Christ Center in Eau Claire. You also have people there praying. Are they Unity Connected? Is this a religious project? This is not a religious project. We are a secular organization. So we open our arms to any organizations of any religious or spiritual path, as well as community organizations for participation. Frankly, I think that's key and core to global community, you know, that broad acceptance and finding the ways to come together to work in common purpose for the good of all. And so the folks there in Tanzania who are praying, they are religious specifically. Are they the sponsors of this? Is this village religious? And what kind of religion? There is a heavy Christian presence throughout this area, different churches. In the immediate area that we're in right now, it happens there's a heavy Roman Catholic presence, but there are also Protestant churches as as well. And as you move around the mountain, you find different expressions. There's also Muslim practicing communities in the area and other groups as well. One of the things that I love about 
Tanzania that I found over there was that they don't seem to have quite the conflict that we do sometimes here in this country. They seem a little bit more accepting in the everyday about the ways people practice their faith. It's a little bit less black and white. So there's no one church over there as a partner with us. Our cooperating partner, our first one, was Global Volunteer Programs, a Tanzanian nonprofit, if you will, NGO. And it was founded by Florentina Masawi. Again, not religious. It was community-based. And Florentina Masawi herself is an inspirational human being. She has brought so much richness into my life just by knowing her. She was born in this Uru region, the foothills of Kilimanjaro, within the Chaga, C-H-A-G-G-A is how you spell that, the Chaga tribe, which is a predominant people in that area historically. And as a young girl, she received a scholarship to Sweden. She studied, became a field social worker in Sweden. She married and had children and spent her whole adult life there. Just right before we found it, it can be done, she received a strong sense of calling that she wanted to return to Tanzania and be a more hands-on assistant to friends, family, and community in that area. And so she did. And she left her Swedish home and returned to her roots. First of all, she founded a tour company business in order to provide work for local people as drivers and guides, even cooks and helpers around that business, and she operates, in essence, a, sort of a, a bed-and-breakfast kind of a scenario for people interested in visiting or volunteers, and founded the Global Volunteer Program that connects people to projects in that area. And so I credit Spirit's involvement for connecting us to exactly the right person at the right time in Florentina Masawi because she was instrumental in just educating us on local customs and structure when we first went over there for that first research trip to ask questions of people and find out more about them. And was it possible for a small group of individuals halfway around the world with literally no background in something like this to be of practical assistance in Tanzania? If you just tuned in, you're listening to Spirit in Action. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, for this Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website is northernspiritradio.org. Come to the site, find all of our programs of the last six years. You can find links, and you can find a place to leave comments. We love to hear from you wherever you are listening in the world. We're speaking today with Barbara Joy. Uh, she's currently heading up a project called It Can Be Done. Their website is itcanbedoneafrica.org. She's coming to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I happen to be situated, on September 11th. And actually, she'll be here for a few more days. She's participating in a number of activities on the 11th. There's a local Jonah religious leaders group a couple days later that she's going to be part of. She credits part of the tremendous success they've had in helping water be made available in this area in the foothills of Kilimanjaro to the miraculous power of prayer. And she's got some of that prayer support here from Wisconsin, from Eau Claire. But you too could be part of this. And that's one thing I wanted to go on to, Barbara. How do other people get involved? What should they be doing? What, what kind of roles could they fill? 
We have quite a variety of ways that people can participate. Certainly, they can be of assistance through Volunteer USA, uh, getting as many or as few hours as they can work in their life. They can go on the website to find the ways to contact us directly. I, myself, and others will be very happy to talk to them if they feel some stirrings or uh, they listen to us today. And they really shouldn't talk themselves out of it thinking that they may not have the right skills because we really virtually need every expression of support administratively with the women's fair trade products, engineering, filmmaking, even graphic arts, communications. There's so many ways to plug into this to help others become aware of this project. And also, it's a way for people to express that deeper sense of self to satisfy those callings that many of us have for deeper meaning in our everyday lives. Secondly, they're very welcome to participate in our mission trip in January or in the upcoming mission trips. There will be others working with the women and or water. If you are an adventurous soul or an athletic type, we urge you to consider climbing Mount Kilimanjaro as a pledge climb. We count on those dollars to help fund the water project. The drilling is expensive and obviously ultimately extremely worthwhile because lives are literally saved. And of course, if none of those things seem possible in this moment to anyone listening, your direct donation in any amount is deeply appreciated and really vital. You've mentioned that Unity Christ Center here does prayer support. Are there other congregations, other people? I guess one thing I want to emphasize again, you said people don't have to be religious at all. You talked about going on a mission trip. Does a mission trip happen if you're not religious? (laughs) Well, yes, it does, because that's exactly what we are. This is a not-religious mission trip. Uh, We've called it mission trip because we're on a mission. (laughs) It's a term commonly used, I know, in faith-based communities, but we're there to provide hands-on support. There's no direct religious affiliation about it. Folks that are coming all come from, you know, their own backgrounds. And again, we're just coming along to provide this direct, practical, hands-on support in the development of this ACORN Women's Group and Cooperative for Fair Trade Product Development. And folks can pick up a hammer, can paint. There's a little small building that's been donated for use with this group. You know, a little bit of electrical and solar work may be done, as well as this direct work with sewing, quilting, crafting with the women. So it is not faith-based per se. You hear me talk about prayer and spirit because I believe it is a thread And certainly it was an impetus in all of us coming together in the first place. But it is broad-based and all-accepting. And whether anyone ever uses those words or not, uh, I will go so far as to say that soul and spirit is, is expressed whether we name it or not and can be. So we just will speak in terms of welcoming, in this moment, people's willing hands and open, caring, compassionate hearts. That sounds very good. I wanted to tease a little bit more information about, you talked about the Acorn Women's Group and Cooperative Organization. First of all, that is a big phrase. They need something shorter, (laughs) you know, the group. (laughs) And when you're talking about fair trade, 
usually that means not using the traditional import-export methods. You're exporting directly to people in the USA. So I suppose one of the roles that people can have is to build on this side places where fair trade goods are sold. I've seen that done at churches before, and I see it down here at Just Local Food, a local co-op that sells locally produced and fair trade products from elsewhere. So I assume one of the roles that people could fill is to help with uh, marketing in, in, in places where it'll be sold here in the USA. Absolutely. Because this is a, a brand new venture, we really would very much welcome assistance and advisement in the development of these distribution points, just in the getting of goods to and from, just all those kinds of little layers to be developed. So. Yes, anyone who has any knowledge or a willingness to assist in those ways, it would be very appreciated. We have a new contact in Eau Claire through Leanne Richards, who will be going on the January mission trip to assist with the women's group and cooperatives. She is connected to the Hope United Methodist Church in Eau Claire. So we are very happy to receive the support an endorsement of Hope United Methodist, as well as Leanne Richards' active involvement in this project. And they are hosting on Monday, September 12th, at 7 o'clock, I believe it is, Coffee, Cookies, and Conversation with Eva and Alphonse Ngali and other us in this project. We'll have a chance to meet that church community and talk about the project and I'm sure they would welcome outside participation as well in that event. And I believe that people can find all of this information, your schedule, where you're going to be doing, what you'll be doing, on itcanbedoneafrica.org. People go there and they can find out your projects, find where to participate, how to get involved. And again, we want to emphasize on so many roles. It can be prayer support. It can be financial support. It can be going there. It can be fundraising by climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. There's just so much that could be poured in from people's hearts, and that's where it's important that it start. You know, there's one thing that I wanted to ask you. My vision of the area there that you're talking about, right by Mount Kilimanjaro, I think that's rainforest-type area. It occurred to me that why would you need to get a well when you've got rainforest right there? Don't they have rain every day, and they've got an overabundance of water? Why is this necessary? Well, that is a wonderful question, and the best way to answer that is to refer people perhaps to images that they may have seen of Mount Kilimanjaro over the years. And if we go back and look, and I would challenge our, our the listeners here today, Google Mount Kilimanjaro is the year 2000, photos of the year 2000, and that image of that largest freestanding mountain in the world and that wonderful huge glacier that was at the top, those glacial waters fed mountain streams and springs for a millennia or longer. The people in that, water, in that area traditionally did not suffer from lack of water due to very recent extreme climate changes that the world is now coping with. And this region, of course, is part of that. If you Google again a photo, a recent photo of Mount Kilimanjaro and compare it to one just 10 years old, that millennia-old glacier at the top has drastically disappeared 
and they are anticipating that it will literally be gone very shortly. And so the effect has been dramatic on the lives of the people that lived and still live in this rainforested region. Streams have dried up, springs have dried up. What happens in the cycle of climate is that the rains lessen as well. In that area, they normally had what they called the small rains in October, November, and then they would have the large rains that were in March and April and part of May. So what wasn't said by these always present springs and such, people could have streams and, and things fed by these intermittent rains. Due to the dramatic climate shifts of recent years, those small rains are no longer even happening or barely happening. And so drought results, crops are not fed, hunger happens. The water walks, uh, you know, of women and children become longer and longer, searching for water in, a, in new places. Overall, rainfall has been drastically reduced. The problem has been aggravated also by secondary issues in that area of deforestation, some overpopulation as well. And so what used to be lush areas now suffer, and of course that means that people suffer greatly. I guess I should have expected your answer because I had Christian Parenti on recently. And if people go to nordenspiritradio.org and listen to that program a couple weeks old, the book that he's written recently talks about how those cycles, how these factors compound, you know, there's demographic changes, there's political changes, religious, there's any number of changes that all work together aggravated by climate change to produce true crisis in so many areas of the world, obviously around Kilimanjaro as well. Yes, and I I will mention here that not so long ago, Mount Kilimanjaro itself was named as a World Heritage Mountain, meaning it was designated as belonging to the world, if you will. You know, just as a point of interest, historically, that area is credited as being possibly the origins of human beings themselves. Some of the oldest remains in the world have been found in that area. It's believed, even uh, through DNA testing, that we have familial connections, if you will, ancestral connections to this area, and may credit our beginnings to people in that region. Well, one last thing I'd like to ask you about, Barbara Joy. Both your accent and your name strike me as interesting. You do not sound like a Chicagoan nor a Waukeshite. And and I was wondering, you seem to have diverse religious, spiritual connections. And so I was wondering if you'd give me a snapshot of how you got to be where you are, this work to heal the world that you've been doing, both personally with people through your Soulscapes breath work and other projects that you've done, uh, this work with It Can Be Done, going over to Africa. What's the religious, spiritual journey that got you to where you are? For myself, I was born in southern Ohio, raised there as a young person, and for those listening who may not think so, southern Ohio has a bit of southern accent. (laughs) It's it's just like southern Illinois and Missouri areas. There's a heavy southern influence there, and my family, there's a lot of family from Kentucky and Tennessee even. I was raised in a Presbyterian church in that area, actually, and because it was a Air Force Town is one of the things I I credit it with. 
we had a lot of Sunday school teachers and things that came from all different parts of the country and would come and go. And I was lucky enough to have a lot of support in free thinking and in acceptance. Frankly, also, it suited me as a, a person. I've, I've always been interested in human beings and not necessarily their affiliations. So then my own personal journey and experiences with personal healing and spiritual callings as I questioned and wanted to delve deeper, I went into experiential work, first for my own healing and understanding, meditation and prayer, and I had some very strong, spontaneous moments of awakening, if you will, in, of all things, a corporate setting in the 1980s. That's a longer story than we have time to go into right now, but literally experienced a spontaneous awakening and a deep connection to remembrance. And I was just utterly curious, had to know more about my own soul, what this meant in relationship to the souls of others, how we can connect directly to our own soul, our own inner voice, and find those ways to express as an embodied soul in this wonderful human experience that we're all part of here. So that's sort of the snapshot <laughs> that continues to drive my own life and colors this project. And your work with It Can Be Done is truly an expression of that path you've dedicated yourself to. I appreciate so much the work for Africa, the work for people you've done here, just in your neighborhoods, Barbara Joy. And thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you to all those who may be listening. Blessings. You can follow up on the schedule and work of Barbara Joy and other workers with It Can Be Done via their website, itcanbedoneafrica.org. And we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every soul,